Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. In his new book, From Sea to High Sea, author Paul Johannes Volkman chronicles the dramatic life of his mother. Paul is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you very much. Can you tell me about this book? Ever since her early teens, my mother discovered she had a passion to improve her singing ability. First being instructed in New York City, her travels then took her to Germany in the 1930s, where she found herself being taught by a number of Germans, including two Nazis. She bore witness to Nazi propaganda, losing friends because of her views. Through it all, my mother became a voice against all prejudice. So what you've done with the book is taken what your mother originally wrote, and then you added some clarification and uh, some different things. Could you tell me how you changed things up? Well, when my mother was bedridden for 20 years, she wrote about her passion about learning to learn to sing and her journey through Germany, just as Hitler was forming his regime. I realized the significance when I read her manuscript. I saw to it that it had to be changed. I wanted to rewrite the book or the manuscript, but I, I couldn't do it in her way because it didn't make sense to me. So what I did is I changed the book a little bit, or I call it a book because in a sense it's her book. It's a manuscript because it wasn't really made into a book. But what I did is I added some transitory paragraphs. And in so doing, she would talk about going from A to B. In other words, when she left the United States to go to Germany, for instance, and traveled overseas, one minute she would be leaving this country, and the next minute she would be getting lessons over in Germany. And so what I had to do is write a transitory paragraph stating, well, how did she get there? Uh, who did she meet along the way? And things like that. Wow. In addition to that, I added fictitious names, and I translated German. About how long were you working on this? I worked on it for about a year. Was there a certain target readership you had in mind? What kind of people, I guess, do you think would uh, enjoy this the most? Well, I think anybody who likes history would really like this type of book. As far as I'm concerned, I really didn't have anybody in mind and as much as I have been writing, I've written four other books, I really felt that those who have read my other books would want to read this book, too, only because of them knowing how I write. Is there maybe another book in your future? Do you plan on pursuing more publishing? You know, um, I pondered that for more years than you can imagine, but not at the present time. For the time being, I'm just going to let it ride. Well, thank you for putting your work out there. This book is From Sea to High Sea by Paul Johannes Volkman and Beatrice Caroline Volkman. Published by Fulton Books, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you shop for books. 
Paul, thank you again for stopping by the show. I had a great time chatting. A great time talking to you. It was a fun book to read, very laborious to write, but enjoyed writing it and good talking to you and thank you for the interview. Denise Williams gives her first-hand account of dealing with the horrors of addiction in her book, Hindsight, The Unraveling Effects of Addiction. Denise is talking with me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Denise, thank you for being here with me tonight. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me what Hindsight is all about? Hindsight, my own personal story of what went on within the four walls of my household with my two sons' addiction along with the mental health, what that did to the family, how my daughter and I fought back. Sadly enough, we lost both boys. I'm sorry. Was there anything in particular that inspired you to write this book and get the story out there? I needed to understand addiction and mental health myself. So during the research of looking for what I needed, I it just made me more aware that there's not enough resources. So many parents like myself are completely naive about this topic. They don't understand it, and they could easily make the same mistakes that I made with Ryan and Matt that I would not want them to go through what I did. And it's like, hey, maybe you need to do as I say, not as I did. And save your children or get them to a better place. Was there anybody in particular that you were thinking about, a group of readers, when you were writing this, uh, people you were aiming this toward? (laughs) Quite a few. First of all, it's addicts and their families, that they are not alone. All of our stories are the same. You just change the names and we're all going through the same thing and we need to stop being shamed into or with the stereotype that we remain silent and do nothing. Also, treatment centers, they always say that, you know, you got to hit, you know, for an addict or someone with mental health, they got to want the treatment in order for it to work, which I agree with. But if you read the book, you would see, especially with Matt, my one son, Matt, there was no way somebody suffering from addiction and mental health issues that they could have navigated themselves through the treatment. I think laws need to be changed that a person, a family member or a loved one can advocate for them, that they can speak up for them. They can help them without being told, no, they're they're an adult. You can't do any of this. I do think that a lot of times that does prevent someone from seeking help because they don't know where to go. And you need somebody with a clear mind that is not depressed, not shooting dope that can navigate through the healthcare system. And then also to critics who think that, well, you know, they brought this on themselves. If they, all they have to do is go up to a treatment center and things will be better. No, that, that's not how it is. And if you don't understand addiction, you're entitled to your opinion about it being a choice or whatnot. They're so verbal, they stigmatize the two diseases mm. that people like my family, myself and my family members remain silent and don't seek treatment. And then this epidemic grows larger and larger. So you don't have to agree with me, but you don't have to verbally stigmatize someone suffering from addiction or mental health issues. Well, Denise, again, I'm sorry for your loss of Ryan and Matt, but I thank you 
for being brave enough to tell their story, to get the word out there, and to help others. I encourage listeners to pick this one up. It's called Hindsight, The Unraveling Effects of Addiction by Denise Williams, published by Fulton Books. You can get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you shop for books. Well, Denise, thank you again for stopping by the show tonight. I had a great time talking with you. Well, thank you for having me. Rite of Passage is the new book by Steve McCoy that looks at becoming an adult during a time of enormous cultural change. Steve, stop by the show to talk with me here tonight. Steve, thank you for being here. (laughs) Thanks for inviting me. Can you tell me about Rite of Passage? What's the book all about? Rite of Passage is... Is a transformation from being an adolescent to starting to become adult, getting out on your own for the first time without mommy and daddy telling you what to do. Rite of passage was, everybody goes through a rite of passage, some more intense than the others. I felt going in the military was a, was a big rite of passage, and uh, I, I felt I had to share it because I got a lot out of it. I approached it with kind of no expectations. I was aware there was a hot war going on, and which I hadn't formed opinions on yet. It was kind of a nascent time in my, in my life. Now, this is during the summer of 1967. You refer to 67 as 1969 light. Yes. Can you talk about that? Well, I mean, everybody, historians, everybody points to 1969 as a seminal year protests of the war heating up and demonstrations and bringing draft cards. Well, we started that in 67. It was my generation that first was burning draft cards. We were uh, encouraged to wear flowers in our hair and go to San Francisco with the hippies. And Jefferson Airplane was, was enticing us to take mind-altering drugs. I like to think is 67 was kind of the setup for 69. And I admit that a lot happened in 69, but 67 kind of led up, the events in 67 kind of led up to 1969. So have you written before? Have you had anything published out there before? Internally, I was, as I've mentioned in the cover of the book, I was in IT with AT&T, and I had a chance to write technical manuals. I was able to take technological problems and explain to somebody how to walk through technical problems. He had to be a kind of a wordsmith. But then I realized that at the time that several people commented on, boy, I really like the way you write technical manuals. It kind of got my juices going towards uh, if I could write some prose with more than just a vanilla approach to things, kind of put emotion in it, share with readers how I felt. Yeah, certainly two different kinds of writing, very different kinds of writing. How was that transition for you? It sounds like it was pretty smooth. Yeah, it was, because I I think I've always wanted to do that. I think it's it's always kind of been on my bucket list to write something that, you know, whether it be a poem, uh, whether it be a song, a book, just just to see if I could share my experiences with a broader audience and them understand what I was trying to uh, get across. So if you were to sum up the one thing you're trying to say with this book, maybe the theme or the the one message that you want readers to get out of Rite of Passage, what would that be? 
everybody goes through it. Everybody has their own rite of passage. Mine had to be military, but like I said in the forward, you know, there's things like religious ceremonies, bat mitzvahs, confirmations, all types of, of rites of passage. I just wanted to take my experience, my rite of passage, and, and share it with everybody. It's called Rite of Passage. It's published by Fulton Books, and you can find it on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, on iTunes and Google Play, and everywhere else you shop for books. Well, Steve, thanks again for coming by the show tonight. I had a good time talking with you. Thank you. Bola Shasami creatively uses poetry to inspire self-awareness and growth. In her new book, Growing Pains, A Poetic Journey of Growth, Bola is here with me right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Bola, thanks for stopping by the show here tonight. Oh, you're very welcome. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Could you tell me about Growing Pains? What's it all about? Okay. It's a compilation of poetry that I've written over a few years that is linked to issues that, you know, people deal with day to day. And I link it to prayer and thanksgiving and affirmations because I'm also a certified life coach. So it's almost like a poetry book that's linked into life coaching. What gave you the idea to use poetry in this way? I've been writing poetry for quite a few years, actually. And some of the poems that I've written have been very soul searching for me. And so I knew there was real power in poetry connecting with deep issues within people's hearts. Did you have a certain group of readers in mind when you wrote this? Well, because I'm a, a Christian, obviously, I think people of faith will be able to connect easier. But it can actually be appreciated and, and used by all different groups of people, male, female, believers, non-believers. Now, you said you've been writing for a long time. Have you been published before? No, no, not this way. No, no, I haven't. Wow. Wow. Getting that first one out there on shelves has got to be a great feeling. What's it feel like to be a published author now? It does feel good. It's a bit surreal sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's a real blessing to know that what I've received, I've been able to share with others. How easy of a process was it to take your poetry and organize it and get it into that book format to go out there? Uh, it wasn't that easy, actually. Lots of prayer. Mm. <laughs> Lord, what do I choose? What do I don't, you know, what don't I choose? But as I said, some of the poems are quite old. You know, some of them are like 10 years old. And then some of them are very present day as well. So I had enough material to choose from. It was more a matter of how do I narrow down what I put into this book? Mm. Yeah, that's got to be the toughest part is taking your own words and just putting them on the cutting room floor, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So do you have advice now for people who want to get their first book out there? Yeah, I would just say go for it. I would say be patient, extend grace to yourself, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, trust God and persevere because the feeling of completing a project and actually being able to hold it in your hands is such a blessed one, such a rewarding feeling that it's worth the pains and the challenges that you have to face to get there. When you go about writing your poetry, do you have a specific sort of routine or an environment that you get yourself in? Funnily enough, no. I tend to find that sometimes a thought will just come to mind that will trigger off or inspire a poem. I'm a spontaneous writer, I'd say. You know, I, I tend to have bits of paper around the house and, <laughs> and I'll write a line and then I'll come back and fill it in, you know. So mm. um, not really, no. I don't have a routine. <laughs> mm. 
Did you ever have a spark of an idea that would make a great poem and then you sit down to write it and, and nothing comes out like a writer's block for poetry? You sound as if you're talking from experience. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes you write and, you know, sometimes you have a phrase in your head and you sit down and you think, oh, this would make a great poem. And you start writing and then all of a sudden it just stops. And, and I've learned not to stress myself too much when that happens. I just usually sort of think, okay, get up and go and have a cup of tea and maybe come back some other time or another day. So this book was written at quite a leisurely pace, as you can tell. Mm. <laughs> I don't push things too hard. When they come, they come. <laughs> well, Bola, thank you for using your talents to help people and to inspire people. And I encourage our listeners to check this out. It's called Growing Pains, A Poetic Journey of Growth by Bola Shasami. Published by Christian Faith Publishing, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and everywhere else you get your books. Ebola, thanks again for stopping by the show tonight. I had a great time talking with you. Thank you. Me too. I enjoyed talking to you. <laughs> Carefully kept secrets are uncovered in D.L. Krager's new novel, Guarding the Past. I'm talking with D.L. right now. He's joining me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. D.L., thank you for being here with me tonight. Oh, thank you for having me, Corey. I appreciate it very much. Oh, guarding the past sounds really exciting. What's it all about? In a way, I'm going to say it's kind of hard to explain. I want to preface it with actually a, a, a couple of reviews that people have had and said. One is, I'm not sure how to categorize this fascinating novel. Is it biblical fiction, Christian suspense, mystery novel? historical adventure. How about all above? Hmm. Another one I have here is, it, it's like you combine Star Wars, Jurassic Park, and Raiders of the Lost Ark all in one book from a biblical worldview. It's generally about uh, a modern-day archaeologist that receives a mysterious letter inviting him to an unknown and hidden location around the world. Once there, he finds himself in the midst of mighty warriors hundreds of generations down from King Solomon who are still today hiding and protecting secret treasures of old. The, the grand highlights of the book, I, I can't reveal. Uh, it's such a mind-boggling surprise. It will greatly excite, inspire, and challenge everyone, every reader. I think it will just absolutely uh, create such an excitement within them that directs them to the truth in the Bible and, and historically. The book covers a plethora of areas. How did the idea for this come about? Well, when, uh, you know, growing up as a Christian, then having, you know, we all go to school and, and we're learning about science and evolution, being an outdoorsman all my life, growing up in the Rocky Mountains and climbing tall mountains and everything, you're just kind of inspired. It's like, how did all this happen? When did it all happen? And then, you know, the conflict of evolution and creation, it, it took me years of trying to figure out what is the truth. Going with that, with my faith and the Bible, I just look back at time and looking at Genesis, and you're just going, how did this all happen? You know, you in the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then and within four or five, six chapters, it, it, it goes to, uh, they're already out of flood, and the world flood and Noah's Ark and 2,000 years have already passed. And there's very little said known what happened within those 2,000 years. 
And so trying to put together logically in faith and from a biblical worldview, trying to answer and understand what happened at the beginning. And so with that, you know, it just inspired me to, uh, in a story form, try to figure that out. Now, what are your plans for the future? Are you continuing writing, maybe getting published again? Uh, yes, actually, here in the, uh, the beginning of the next year, 2021, sometime in January, maybe the 1st of February, actually my second novel's coming out. It's a completely different series. So here in about a month and a half, two months, I have another book coming out. Pertaining to the book we're talking about now, Guarding the Past, it is actually going to be a series of three. And the second book of that series called In a Warrior's Quiver will be out at the beginning of the summer of 2021. And then the publisher is also working on another novel. So I'm actually on my fifth novel. So wow. uh, writing it and everything. So I've been very busy. It just takes a long time. This for my learning, it takes a long time to get these through and get these out there. And yeah, I've been working hard, but uh, yeah, I'm on, on my fifth book right now. That's fantastic. We're looking forward to seeing more of you out there on bookshelves. Again, this is Guarding the Past by D.L. Crager. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing, and you can find it at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, on iTunes, and everywhere else that you shop for books. Well, D.L., thanks again for stopping by the show tonight. I had a fantastic time chatting with you. Corey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it very much. Regular listeners to the Reader House Author Roundtable will be very happy to hear again from my next guest. I'm certainly happy to welcome author Cheryl Rhodes to the show. Cheryl, thank you for joining me here again. Thank you for having me, Corey. I appreciate it. Now we're talking about your new book. We're continuing in the Lives and Legacies series, and this one is The Women in Jesus's Line. So can you tell us all what this book's about? Well, all of the stories in Lives and Legacies are about women in the Bible. This third book is about the women that are listed in Jesus' genealogy, Rahab, Tamar, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. The most interesting things about these women is that the first three of them were not born among the chosen, and the latter two were with child outside their marriages. Except for Mary, they have all been maligned by humans some distance from them in time and place. Yet these are the women God chose for Jesus' grandmothers. I like the unique perspective you're taking here. Did you have a certain target audience in mind for this? Well, adults and young adults with an interest in God and their own relationship with Him, as well as their destiny, both here and in eternity. I hope the title suggests they will leave a legacy and will prompt them to consider what that legacy will be and how they might accomplish that legacy to leave. And why do you think readers would really appreciate what this book has to say? It speaks to most people because we all have to learn the same lessons. We all have the same trials. They look different. The, si the situations are different, but the trials are the same. So it's about the human experience. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of people could benefit from this. So was there anything in particular that inspired you or persuaded you to write this book? I found gen genuine satisfaction from helping others hear and understand these women's stories when I was writing circuit to retirement homes and delivering them for the lifelong learning program here. My writing began as scripts for my tellings. The chapters in my books are scripts for telling the stories. So they were written before I began to realize how useful they might be to someone else wanting to tell the stories or someone wanting to hear the stories or read the stories 
that I'd never come in contact with, or someone wanting to study these women. Then, when I began to realize, I continued on to write for publication. Now, like you said, this is volume three in the Lives and Legacies series. Is there going to be a volume four, or are you working on another book? I am working on one more book. It's called Female Disciples, and it's about the about four of the women who were closest to Jesus when he was here on earth. And when it comes to writing a book like this, there's a lot of research, a lot of things that go into it. How do you get started on doing something like this? Well, I start with the scripture and make sure I have all of the facts. Sometimes there are some stories that are told more than once, or they're told in pieces across time in the scripture. I want to be sure that I have all of the facts. And then I look for connections with other people in the scripture, with other peoples, people groups in the scripture, before I go to looking for genealogy, customs of their time, connections with their stories and other stories, and outside information about the characters that I glean from other stories. My method, since I'm not in a writer's guild, may be unconventional. I don't know. But I'm interested in the writing of the people who interest me or the stories that interest me or the message that's there. It may be backwards. I don't know how other people do it. (laughs) (laughs) We're certainly looking forward to Volume 4 in the Lives and Legacies series. This one is Volume 3, The Women in Jesus' Line, the Lives and Legacies series by Cheryl Rhodes, published by Fulton Books. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you shop for your books. Well, Cheryl, it was certainly a pleasure speaking with you here again. I appreciate you stopping by. Thank you. Thank you. I look forward to the next time. Jose E. Espinoza looks at three important elements of human existence in his new book, Time, Talent, Treasure, Human's Life Equation, Awareness for a Meaningful Life Existence. Jose is talking with me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Jose, thank you for being here with me tonight. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me what Time, Talent, Treasure is all about? Time, Talent, Treasure is an awareness about the three elements that we deal in life from the beginning since we are born until the moment we die. In the last of time existence, we deal with our time, the time that we live, our talent, the talent that we become, how to serve people or how to make our living. And our treasure, what we acquire as a reward or as very strategic earning with our talent and our time. How did the idea to write this book come about? The idea to write the book was because I was arriving to my 50s and I was realizing that in some way, consciously and subconsciously, I have been always aware of those three elements and managing to have a successful and meaningful life. And it doesn't matter if I live, if my life existence is only 40 years, 60 years, 80 years, maybe 100. It makes no difference. The point is, if I have to depart tomorrow from this life, I feel satisfied and joyful that my time has been a blessing to me, to my life, and to others. My talent has been a blessing to my life and to others. And my treasure also is a blessing while I exist and also for others. So this is the first book you've written, had published? First book that I have written, first book ever. It was a dream come true. I have been throwing 
thoughts in this for a couple of years, thinking about the subject, the point, the making very essential. What is the reason that I'm writing this book and what for and how much it means, regardless how many millions or billions of copies we sell. But the point is to leave something that can endure for generations, that can be useful to my children, grandchildren, to not only this country and this language, but also in other countries and other language, to humani- in humanity in general. How does it feel now that you finally have this book out there, your first one for the whole world? It was really something that meant to happen in my life. And with the intentionality in my heart to be meaningful and to fulfill a purpose. And of course, primary, with the help and the blessing of God that he provide me the circumstances in my life to get to this point. I feel like, yes, this is a remarkable achievement in my life. Oh, definitely is. Do you have advice now for other writers who want to get their first book out there? My advice for other writers is that no matter how small they think that the contribution of their book could be for humanity, for people, they need to commit to start, go through the process, and finish it. Because sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you know it's good what you're writing, but you either don't have the will, you have to make the time, you have to sacrifice some other priorities in order to make that writing of the book and that commitment a priority. We're looking forward to seeing more of your books out there in the future. This one is Time, Talent, Treasure, Human's Life Equation, Awareness for a Meaningful Life Existence by Jose E. Espinoza. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing, and you can pick it up on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and your traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Jose, thank you again for coming on the show tonight. I had a great time chatting. You are very welcome, and God bless you all, you and all the audience. In her new book, God's Master Plan for All the Churches Around the World, author Doris Smiley Kendrick addresses finances and the church. Doris is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for being here with me tonight, Doris. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So God's Master Plan, can you tell me what it's all about? The book is a prophetic study guide. It's anointed by God. It's prepared for all the leaders of the church around the world. It's God's way of shining the light and uncovering the uh, leaders who refuse to uh, help the unfortunate members of the church to prosper. The Lord let me know a long time ago that there's a lot of people that don't realize or seem to care that there's many broke churches in the United States and around the world that need help. But the churches that need help don't know how to go about seeking the help that they need. And there are just too many prosperous churches that simply overlook the members that are in dire need, sitting in the church hurting. Some may be on government assistance or using food stamps and down to their last dollar. And it's just a shame to say anything. But God's master plan will allow the members of the churches to understand that the wealth of the churches is not just for the leaders or the pastors, but for all who serve under them. Change the norm and forget about tradition and help the people to prosper. When you were writing this, did you have a certain group of readers in mind, a target audience for this? My target readers would be all the faith-based churches. This is to encourage the people to help shape their thoughts and uh, build their faith, realizing that God's master has a master plan for their lives within the church. About how long were you working on this? It took me about three months. Once I got started on the book, I just flowed with it. The Lord was giving what to say and how to say it. 
It was easy and exciting, but there was one thing that slowed me down when I finished. When I finished the book, I needed to have my glasses upgraded. So I had to, and during the pandemic, uh, all everything was shut down. So I had to keep going over and over the scriptures until I can get it correct. Is this the first time you've had a book published? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's the it's first time. Wow. How's it feel to have that first one out there for the world? Oh, my goodness. It feels great. Mm. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's just beautiful mm. to have that out there. I, it, it's just overwhelming, to be honest about it. Just overwhelming. I don't know. It just felt so good. And I was just so pleased that God chose me to write this book. And I was just excited about doing it. Are you continuing to write, maybe getting more published in the future? Yeah, actually, I have three more books. The two books that I'm fi actually finished with, I'm just jotting down different, putting different touches on it. But my fourth book is a children's book, and I, I'm just getting started on that one. So do you have any words of wisdom or any advice for aspiring authors? I would tell them not to ignore the gift, the dream that the Lord has placed them in their hearts. Everyone has a story to tell. Stick with it, because hard work pays off. That's great advice. The book is God's Master Plan for All the Churches Around the World by Doris Smiley Kendrick. It's published by Fulton Books, and you can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you shop for books. Well, Doris, thank you for coming by the show here tonight. I had a great time talking with you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. You have a blessed day. I'm talking with author Joseph A. McGee right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. His story is one of adversity and salvation, and he writes about it in his new book, Eyewitness. Thank you for being here with me tonight, Joseph. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me about Eyewitness? It sounds like you have quite a story to tell. I was diagnosed almost five years ago with uh, stage four cancer, and I guess as everybody would identify with, you go through a lot of emotional turmoil with something like that. And I found that I needed a deeper faith. I just felt like I um, uh, had a lot of things that, a lot of burdens that I carried. Ultimately, it led me to a vision that I described in the book. Uh, salvation experience is the only way I can describe it. It has changed my life. I felt like it was uh, needed to share it. That's why I wrote the book. Did you have a certain group of readers in mind whenever you wrote this? Well, I, I do to some extent because there are people in crisis. You know, I volunteer at a homeless shelter, so all of them are in crisis. I've known a number of people in my life who, for various reasons, have committed suicide. They're in crisis. I have friends who've been diagnosed with cancer and other conditions that, that are life-threatening. They're in crisis. People in crisis need a place to reach out and grab onto something to give them hope. Certainly in my life, that was Jesus Christ. Now, certainly, I'm sure you know by now, writing a book and publishing a book is a lot of hard work, and you need a lot of patience. Sometimes it takes a while. About how long were you working on this one? Well, I was working on the book altogether for a number of months. I was, I was at our little home church, and my friend who knew about my vision thought that I had been given a gift, 
I have a strong feeling that when we're giving spiritual gifts, that we should share them and pay them forward as much as it's possible to do that. I came home and I started writing. I, I write a lot with pen and paper. Over the next 48 hours, I wrote a first draft. But of course, a first draft is nowhere near a book. <laughs> I uh, did spend quite a bit of time uh, editing and going over, and then you have to find a publisher. And I'd never written a book before or even thought about writing a book before. It was a lot of work. And then after it's published, you have to figure out, well, now what do I do? Mm. Because if, if you don't do something proactive, the book will just sit there and nobody will ever even find out about it. Mm. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Well, Joseph, I appreciate that you're using everything that you've gone through and the amazing things that you've experienced in your life to reach out and help others. This book is called Eyewitness by Joseph A. McGee. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing, and you can find it on Amazon at Barnes & Noble and iTunes and everywhere else that you would shop for books. Well, Joseph, thank you again for coming on the show with me tonight. I had a really good time talking with you. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it as well, and you have a blessed evening. Author R.V. Brown looks to motivate Christians in his new book, Commission to Pray for a Nation. R.V. is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. R.V., thank you for talking with me tonight. Yes, sir. Good to be here. Good to be here. So can you tell me about your book? What is Commission to Pray for a Nation all about? I learned a lot as a child. Listen to my mom and dad pray a lot. And I just saw the condition that our nation was going in. My wife and I was in Atlanta, Georgia. God got me up early one morning and just started speaking to me. He gave me the idea and gave me the vision to pray for our president for, for one year, 365 days. So the book is based on prayers, 365 days. And that's where the idea came from, where the vision came from, to pray because our nation needs prayer. And right now we need it more than we ever needed. So that's what the book is based on. Mm -hmm. Is there a specific group of readers that you had in mind, like a target audience when you wrote this? The business community as well as the Christian community, but the, the church is what I really want. The church is what I really want to target, as well as the business community, because that's what that's where the, uh, your parents are in the community, and we want the community to know that you know that we can come together and pray. It doesn't matter what church you go to, it doesn't matter who you are, we can come together and pray. So I'm trying to reach that target, that target the adults really. And to talk with them, to share with them, to get them to understand that, you know, we have to pray as a family. You know, I'm one of 17 children. That's the most important thing I heard from my wife, my mom and my dad, is to hear them pray every night and call our name in prayer. And I watched God answer my mom and dad prayer all my young life. So that's why I love to pray, and I think that's why God placed this in my heart. So what's your writing background like? Have you written a book before? Have you been published? Yes, uh, I, I wrote a workbook in 1990 called Breaking the Chain to Work with the At-Risk Children. And then I, my next book I wrote was uh, Step Up to the Plate Dad, and that came out in 2015. And are you continuing to write from here, maybe pursuing more publishing? Yes, uh, yes, I have one already, you know, in the working. My wife didn't want to hear that because we got to get rid of this one first. <laughs> you know, but when you start, when God puts something in your heart, you have to work right hard. Now, I want America to know that, you know, we're, we're a nation that was started to, to worship God, and we got to come back to prayer. And prayer is the only thing I know that gets God's attention. 
And if we start praying, we get God's attention, and God can turn this nation back to the cross, turn the family back to the cross. The fathers and the mothers coming together as a family and pray like we did. You know, every day at dinner table, my dad would pray, you know, and I pray with my family, and I'm teaching my family how to pray. So prayer is so important to the Christian as well as to the non-Christian. We got a lot of non-Christians that don't know Jesus, but they pray, and then they, they got these Christmas tree lights up and got all these things up. And we just got to live in such a way they can see the light in us, and then they can ask, why do you serve God? What's the purpose of you serving God? And then now we can give them the real answer. The real answer is because of Jesus Christ. Do you have any words of wisdom for authors that are looking to get their first one out there? Pray. And, and, and God give you a vision. Write it down. Don't, don't just talk about it. Write it down. I always say, in a box or two, God says, write your vision. Make it plain. If you've got a vision of something, write it down and find somebody that you believe in and take it to them. When I wrote my first book, you know, I, I sent it to quite a few people, and I asked them to, to read it and get back with me, and they all came back with a positive, don't change anything, let it stay like it is. You know, so I had that vision, and I, I decided to do it, and, and I'm the worst, worst writer, you know, but God places it in your heart. When God puts something in your heart and you do it from your heart, he will bless it because that's what he said. Indeed. This book is called Commission to Pray for a Nation by R.V. Brown. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. And you can buy it at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere you shop for books. Well, RV, thank you again for stopping by the show tonight. I had a good time chatting with you. Yes, sir. Looking forward to maybe doing it again soon. I'd like to welcome author Walter Bernard Ward Sr. to the Reader House Author Roundtable. His new book is about growing up in the years of the baby boomers. It's titled Roadmap to Life. Thank you for stopping by the show tonight, Walter. And thank you for having me. This is a great opportunity. Can you tell me all about Roadmap to Life? What's it all about? Well, it started from my birth in 1952, June the 7th. And it carried through the time of life before integration and the many um, things that happened to us as Black people that were not so good. And then it moved on into um, integration. I became a teacher and taught school in... um, the integrated society, even though I went to all black school. Then it goes into um, sports. I, I've coached 40 years. And then it went into my life, my 40 year um, wilderness experience. So um, it's been a round robin of my whole life growing up. Yeah, you've had quite a lot of experiences in your life. If you could sum it all up, what's the message of the book? What's the message of your life that you're looking to communicate? Well, the real message I would look uh, like to portray is that life before integration was quite bad. I didn't realize it was as bad because everybody in my area was going through the same thing. So we didn't realize we were poor. We worked hard. We worked together. Families worked together to survive. Once integration started, life didn't get any better. In fact, it got worse. Because I guess we were being fooled that we were being liked by the white man when all the time he was doing treating us in slavery. Hmm. But it was a legal slavery, so it, it didn't get any better. It got better for me because I went to college and was able to become a school teacher, but many people didn't do as well. And they're still not still not doing as well. And and, and the county is still racist. Was there anything in particular that inspired you to write your story and then have it published? 
Well, what really inspired me was while I was growing up and then after I became an adult, went to college, I used to write articles for my local newspaper concerning the mistreatment of black people in my county. And at first, the editor would put my my article in the paper, but evidently, I guess I became such an outspoken person that my article stopped going in. So I had to try to figure out a way to get my word out about the corruption and the things that were going on in my area. And it ended up being this book. How was writing this book then different from writing the articles? Uh, was there a big difference? Well, the articles became stories. At first, it were just little articles explaining different things that were happening. And then as I was writing, because I didn't intend to write a book, I was just writing the information because I wanted to find out how I could get it out to the public. Mm. Since that newspaper wouldn't uh, publish it anymore, put it in the newspaper anymore. As I wrote, it became more and more obvious to me that I had a lot to say that I didn't even realize. I had learned a lot without even knowing it. God had allowed me to be in situations where I heard a lot of news that was not so good for a Black person. And those little articles became stories, and in time, they became a book. And it's out on shelves now. It's called Roadmap to Life by Walter Bernard Ward Sr. It's published by Fulton Books, and you can find it everywhere on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you shop for books. Walter, thank you again for stopping on the show here tonight. I had a good time talking. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. It's more that I could say, but so I appreciate it. The book we're talking about now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable asks the question, how much do you really know about dragons? It's called Saragon's Curse, The Price of a Red Dragon's Love. And the author, Michael DePaul II, is here with me now. Michael, thank you for coming by the show tonight. How you doing? <laughs> doing fantastic, thank you. Can you tell me all about this book? A long time ago, I was hit with the question or the uh, statement, a dragon would never do that. And after hearing it so many times over the years, I got to thinking about it and I'm like, well, it's fantasy. Why wouldn't they? What stops it from happening? From there, it just kind of boiled into a subject that I had to tackle. Yeah, that question sounds like quite a challenge to somebody with a creative mind. About how long were you working on it? I wrote the original story across about a year. Started in December of 2017, and I was thinking about it and thinking about it, and it just, you know, it hit me. You know, it's not a matter of what they would or wouldn't do. It was just a matter of people have to have dominance. So I started thinking about a character that had a will that couldn't be beaten. So that progressed from there. And over the course of a year, I wrote it. The hardest part's dialogue, though, I got to tell you. Mm. Have you written before? Have you been published before? No, this was my first time ever trying anything like this. And when I started writing it, it was, you know, it, it just exploded into an everyday, all-day need. I actually got to the point where I shut my phone off. And a lot of people got upset with me. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Can you? And it's like, no, I'm busy. No, I'm busy. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to hide from everybody so I could do this. Oh, <laughs> uh, So what was that whole experience like for you, writing a, a novel, of all things, for the first time and then uh, getting it published? How was it? There was a lot of naysayers saying it'll never happen. Mm. 
to anyone that is trying their best to do something like this, do not give up. That's all I can say. Do not give up. You got to do your best and everything you can. Otherwise, it won't happen. If you do your best and it doesn't, but you at least gave it your all, that's when you feel your sense of accomplishment, even if it doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I had a lot of people, you know, just saying, this will never happen. This will never happen. You're wrong. It ain't like this. It never happened. You know, that wouldn't happen. And it's like, wait a minute. Again, it comes to fantasy. What do you mean it'll never happen? <laughs> Anything can happen. That's the best part. That's the fantasy of it. That's the imagination. Are you continuing to write, maybe considering a sequel to this or another project? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I've gotten three solid chapters. I mean, I got to go through afterwards and have them edit it. And I'm working on a second book. But if it happens, I promised one of my daughters that I'd never write more than three with the main characters that are in this book. Mm. Whether it's two or three, I don't know yet. I got to see how this one turns out. Still waiting to see how this first book goes. Well, Michael, I think it's great that you braved this journey that you saw through all the hardships and all the naysayers and you had the patience and endurance to get your first novel out there. And we're looking forward to seeing you more out there in stores. This one's called Saragon's Curse, The Price of a Red Dragon's Love by Michael DePaul II. It's published by Fulton Books, and you can buy it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and at traditional brick-and-mortar stores as well. Michael, thanks again for stopping by the show. I had a great time chatting with you tonight. Thank you, sir. You have a good night. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 